Hello, everybody. Welcome to the State of Mind podcast, where we create space for conversations about mental health that change lives by bringing you the stories underneath the slogans. We want people to learn that they're empowered by their experience, not inhibited. My name is Mike Stroh. I'm a psychotherapist and the founder of Starts With Me, a consultancy that specializes in K-12 education and workplace mental health. I'm someone who's lived through a variety of mental health, illness, and addiction challenges, and I've dedicated my life to helping people reduce their suffering and to promote their innate capacity for well-being. On today's episode, I have decided to do something different. It's going to be a unique situation of me receiving um, a short uh, dose of psychotherapy from Dr. Gaber Mate, who is a world-renowned physician and a best-selling author and one of the world's leading voices in the science of the mind-body connection, healing addiction, and transforming trauma. This is a clip that was taken from a Wisdom Gym episode with the Rebel Wisdom crew that I was a part of, and I got the opportunity to work with Dr. Mate through his compassionate inquiry technique or approach. And I think it's a wonderful example of being open, vulnerable, willing to look at oneself honestly in the care of someone who's quite skilled in a very public forum with a bunch of strangers I had never met. But um, as you'll hear, I never pass up the opportunity to work with incredible people like Mr. Mate. And I think this will give a wonderful insight into how you might start thinking about your own guilt or past difficulties and how you might address them in the present moment. This is going to be part one, and I'm going to sort of just roll the interaction I had with Dr. Mate. Then in the part two of this episode, I am going to go through the whole interaction, but pause and reflect on certain things that happened and certain conversation points, and I will give you some deeper insight into my own experience, but also as a therapist myself, how we work through these things uh, together or with people or with clients or in groups. And I think it'll be a really um, empowering and helpful opportunity. Um, I hope you enjoy it. Please let me know again if you have questions. If you have other guests you'd like me to try and include, and please comment, please subscribe, please leave me a review on Apple or Spotify or anywhere else you listen to your podcasts. I have to say a big thank you to the Rebel Wisdom crew for putting this together. And as the clip rolls, you'll hear Dr. Mate describe a little bit about how his compassionate inquiry came about and how he started working with clients around these practices. And then you will hear my interaction with him, which is about 15 minutes or so. And then, as I said, part two will follow up very soon. Okay, thank you so much. Without further ado, I bring you Dr. Gaber. Mate and the Rebel Wisdom Crew. 
Gabor, from me, I just wanted to hear, uh, to segue into that. Yeah, what, what is Compassionate Inquiry and how did it come about? Well, um, Alex, it's not quite as recent as you have indicated. So, how should I put this quickly? When I was in family practice, at a certain point, I realized, I really realized that people's illnesses, whether it was mental distress, like addiction, anxiety, or depression, or physical illnesses like autoimmune diseases, cancer, chronic fatigue, fibromyalgia, endometriosis, I don't care what, in virtually every case had to do with the mind-body unity, that it had to do with that, in, that an import, important facet of it was the relationship of emotions to our nervous systems and our immune system and our hormonal apparatus and so on. So, you know, I can give you any number of examples. You know, women with PTSD have doubled the risk of ovarian cancer. Women who were abused in children have an increased risk of endometriosis. Men who had were sexually abused as children had three times the risk of heart attacks. I could go on and on and on and on. But that meant that in approaching people's illnesses, you had to deal not just with the physical, biological realities of their process, but also with their emotional, mental histories and lifelong relationship to themselves. Because these were deeply implicated in the onset of their illness. But the question was, then what do I do? Once I get that realization, then what do I do? Well, I can't send them to psychiatrists because psychiatrists don't know a thing about this. For the most part, they're trained in seeing mental illness as a biological disease of the brain. Here's a pill. Not all of them, but many of them. The, the medical specialists like... Um, like um, neurologists and, 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 and gastroenterologists and so on. Well, let me ask you, your audience, this question. Again, raise your hand, okay? How many of you in the last five years, say, have been to any kind of a neurologist, gastroenterologist, rheumatologist, uh, dermatologist, cardiologist, immunologist, rheumatologist, any kind of anologist? Just put your hand up, okay? Right. Now, did they ask you about your childhood trauma? Did they ask you about your present relationship to your spouse or partner or friends? Did they ask you how you feel about your work? Did they ask you about how you see yourself? Did they ask you about how you deal with your emotions? Any of that stuff, all of which pertains to the condition that took you to them in the first place, but they're not trained to understand that. There's a whole science of it but it's not introduced in the medical curricula. So then, Michael, what do I do? So I started counseling patients myself. I, I bumbled into it. And I bumbled into it also because I had to deal with my own depression, my own ADHD, and the fact that my own marriage was in difficulty. And that <clears throat> there I was a successful doctor and a really unhappy human being. So I had to look into all this stuff. It exists in a number of different forms, but the long and short of it is, that it's just this method that I developed and it's called compassionate inquiry for two reasons. One is it makes the assumption that there's nothing wrong with you. There's nothing wrong with anybody. 
not with who they really are. Something happened to people. And what happened made them adopt certain defenses, like addiction. And those defenses, of course, they've created more problems. But they're not wrong to have developed those defenses. It's the only thing they could have done as kids. So, so in other words, to be compassionate towards yourself and towards every aspect of yourself. The inquiry has to do with how we ask questions. And we ask questions to help people realize what's underneath their so-called dysfunctions. That, in a nutshell, is compassion inquiry. And I'm, so now if you want to put questions to me about it, I'm happy to take them. I'm also happy to work with people, if anybody wants that, online here. If there's any problem, you want me to work with you. If you're open enough to doing so online in front of 82 strangers from all over the world, why not? You know, But, but that depends on the individual. So uh, um, I can work with this any way you want. We can start with your questions, perhaps, if you like. But if somebody really would like to work and we can demonstrate it, then, of course, they can be a teacher to the rest of the group. Mike Stroh, you have um, raised your hand, so to speak. So go ahead. Sure, thank you. Uh, Mike, hi. Thanks for Can I say a few yeah. things? Ground rules, okay? So first of all, uh, thank you for doing this. Secondly, you'll find me interrupting you Okay, at times. If I do yeah. so, it's because I think it's helpful to do that. It's not because... I'm impatient or I'm bored or I'm or, or I think you're wrong, okay? None of that. It's just I'm going to move the process along for your benefit. Okay? Sure. Mm -hmm. Thirdly, any question I ask you is an invitation, not a demand. So if I ask you something and you don't feel like answering it, even if, if mid into your answer, midway into your answer you realize I'm not comfortable talking about this, you just stop. You just say so. Okay, but until you do say so, I'm gonna assume that it's okay with you. Is that fair enough? And the final, the final thing I'll say is, I don't know what problem you're gonna present me with, but I really have no idea whether I can help you at all. It's an experiment, right? As long as you're willing to be part of an experiment, I am, but maybe I'll, maybe I'll come out of it looking totally incompetent, I don't know. Give it a chance. <laughs> okay. So, what would you like to talk about? Sure. Um, I guess just to preface what you were saying, I've this is a bit of an indulgement for me because I have done a lot of these type of things, but it's I always love doing them again uh, or more. And specifically, I read Stop recently right listened to. Sorry. Stop right there. Please. Yeah. One of the things I do in compassion inquiry is I pay attention to people's language, okay? Now, if I was working with Melissa or David or Alexander or anybody else, would you say to them, are you indulging yourself? No. But notice you said it to yourself. Yes. Which means that there's an element of lack of compassion for the self. Notice that? Yes. Even as you're asking your help for help, you're kind of excusing yourself. Okay. I'm kind of what? Sorry. Excusing yourself, or or, or Yes, or, yes, 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 yes. Okay. 
Well, let's just notice that. Nothing wrong with that. I'm, this is not to make you wrong. It's just an automatic tendency that you might notice in yourself. Okay? All right. Definitely. Fair enough. Thank you. Please carry on. No, I appreciate that. Yeah, I'm never, no matter how much help I get, I'm still not worthy of getting it. Um, so, yeah, I read or I listened to the Scattered Mind recently. And tiny backstory is I was chronic addict from about 12 to 30, got married, sobered up, had a kid. And as you know, marriages, when with one person in recovery, tend to be difficult. And so it was pretty difficult for the first five years or so. We have two kids, one of which, and I have a diagnosis of ADHD. Um, I guess it's been almost 10 years since I've been sober, et cetera. But my son has ADHD and he's eight. And so where I struggle, and I've done the mindful self-compassion, a lot of that training is still like a lot of what you said in that book was so relevant in terms of the my own childhood, my wife's childhood, um, and the stress in our home for my son and daughter. That has diminished quite a lot over the past five years or so, but there's still remnants of it. And also, obviously, the first five years of his life were pretty stressful. So I have shame associated to that. I I get into my own catastrophizing of like, oh, I didn't do this. And every time he acts a certain way and I respond with anger or impatience, the catastrophizing goes. And so I think part of it's like self-forgiveness slash being as responsible and attuned to him. Because I think you use that word a lot, attunement. Um, and so we have, as a family, we've certainly healed and we continue to practice, but yeah, I, I just, that's a gnawing angst inside. And uh, there's shame there for sure, yeah. I got it. And uh, as a parent, I, as you know from that book, I, I went to the same yeah. thing. And uh, even long after I wrote that book, I continued to carry guilt and self-blame about what I, the experiences that my children had in a home with two very stressed parents sometimes at each other's throats and sometimes not talking to each other at all. Yeah. So I get that. Um, one of my sons and, and I, his name is Daniel, him and I are actually gonna write a book together called Hello Again, A Fresh Start for Adult Children and Their Parents. And uh, that's after we finish this current book. And you might wanna look at YouTube and look us up in this talk that we give together on on that topic. Now, I know your kids are not adults yet, but you just might get something out of it. Okay? Yeah. What's it called? Sorry? Hello again. Just, just, just Google Daniel and Gabor Mate. That's all. On YouTube. You'll find it. It's been seen by about 300,000 people. Now, going back to your shame and guilt. So, let's agree on something. Had you not had been addicted, had you not been going through a difficult recovery, had you and, you, you and your wife had not had significant deep stresses that went back to your childhood and to hers otherwise she wouldn't have been with you so it's not just about you by the way yes totally yeah <laughs> but had that not happened your children would have an easier time in life let's agree on that okay let's also agree that had all that stuff not happened 
they wouldn't be facing some of the difficulties that they're facing right now. That's true, right? Absolutely, yeah. 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 So that is true. How do we separate that from the guilt? Though? So let me ask you this question. How, at what day, I'm gonna ask you a number of questions, okay? Inquiry. The first question is, do you remember the date and the time of the day when you woke up and you decided, I'm gonna screw up my kids? No. You can't remember that date? You have bad memory, what? No, I don't have, I, I definitely have a bad memory. <laughs> it's been fried <laughs> to shit, but. <laughs> but you're pretty sure that didn't, that didn't happen, right? Definitely not. So you never consciously made a decision, did you? I'm gonna screw my kids up. No. I'm gonna impose on my kids some of the traumas that I experienced. You didn't make that decision, did you? Well, no, but I have to be honest. There are moments when I have the thought, I want to make this person suffer because of my anger or something like that. I get you know? that. I get yeah, that. Yeah, okay. I yeah. get that. But in terms of a decision to create problems for your kids. No, definitely yeah. not. Number one. Number two, how old were you as a child when your parents decided to work on themselves and to work out their traumas, so they wouldn't keep passing it on to you. All the way when that happened. Still has yet to happen. Okay. But it's happened for your kids, right? Can you realize what a gift you're giving them? Can you realize how wonderful it is for them? That they have parents who are seeking to become, or who are becoming conscious? So when you catastrophize, all you're doing is you're projecting your own children onto your kids. For sure. But, but you're not factoring in that they have different parents. Do you see that? I do. Can you acknowledge yourself for that? Yes. I can't always feel it, but I can sometimes. I'm not asking you to feel anything. I'm just asking, can you acknowledge yourself for that? Yes. Good. Now I'm going to come to my third question. When in your life have you not felt guilty, Mike? <laughs> um, maybe in long bouts of meditation, but uh, or maybe when I'm in the service of others. But generally speaking, it's there. No, I'm going to make a wild guess here. The guilt was yours before you had kids. Yes. It has nothing to do with your kids. <laughs> uh, true enough, when we have children and we let them down in some ways, some remorse is inevitable. But yeah. that deep sense of guilt about yourself, you had that long before you even looked at your wife. Never mind your kids, right? Yeah, I mean, that's part of being an addict, no doubt, is, is no, that. Not, no, it's not part of being an addict. It's part of being a traumatized child. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> you are guilty because you didn't make you happy, right? 
didn't make my parents happy. Sorry, I couldn't hear you very well. No, you have some guilt because you didn't make your kids as happy as you could have. Ah, yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. No, you already answered my question. But who are the first? <laughs> who are the first people you didn't make happy? My mom, primarily, but yeah. That's where your guilt comes from, because kids take that on themselves. So Thich Nhat Hanh, the spiritual teacher, said that the biggest gift we can give our children is our own happiness. Mm -hmm. So you keep working on that, your kids are going to be just fine. Now, your guilt has nothing to do with your kids. There's some healthy remorse about your kids. That's it, yeah. but that's not guilt. No. Um, so your guilt predates your children. So whenever you notice that guilt, but guilt, once it, once it becomes ingrained, it'll use anything as further evidence. <laughs> yes. So all your guilt that you've had all your life is doing, that has to do with nothing to do with what you ever did wrong. It has to do with an impossible task that you were given as a kid to make your mother happy. It was totally impossible. It should never have been your job. But you were given that and you took it on because you couldn't help it. And you failed at it. And hence the guilt. And that guilt will now use anything as further evidence to justify its existence. Still can't do it. <laughs> I don't try anymore. I still can't make her happy. I don't try anymore, but yeah. yeah. Well, I just yeah. noticed that the, the feeling of guilt, like when you, as a final question, and I'll let you go. Yeah, sure. Um, as a final question, when you feel the guilt, where in your body do you feel it? Where does it show? 100%. It's like here, for sure. Okay. And sometimes a little bit up here. Okay, now allow yourself to feel into it a little bit now. Is that possible? Just, yeah. Just let it be there. And ask yourself this question, how familiar is that feeling to you and how far does it go back? How familiar it is and how far does it go back? And what, what answer might come up for you about that? Part of the answer is it's like the main thing I am familiar with and I don't know how far back it goes, but I'm sure it goes pretty far back. If I sat with it long enough, I'd probably get some clear images and memories. Yeah. I don't mean any specific incident, but can you agree that it goes back before you had children? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Next time it arises, do your kids a favor. Don't make it about that. <laughs> Don't make it about them. Okay? They don't want to be the effects of your guilt. No, they do not. Nor do I want them to be the receivers of it. Yeah. Fair enough for now? Yes, sir. Thank you so much. And thanks for the Rebel Wisdom crew for bringing you here. This is amazing. Thanks. Okay. I hope you enjoyed that. I hope you found that helpful. I know it was helpful for me, and I, I really enjoyed the interaction. So... In the next episode, I will 
break that interaction into smaller pieces. And as I mentioned before, I will add my reflections to it. And I hope that that helps you. And I hope that gives you more insight into your own situation or, or those of people you love and care for. Okay. Thank you so much for being here, for listening. And I am so grateful for your attention. Have a lovely day. Take it easy. Peace.